If we can start by doing kind of where you serve and a little bit about the institution or organization that you serve with at the moment. Well, I, I serve here first, uh, but I also serve with the International Mission Board as team leader for a theological education strategist. So I have six units around the world. Dr. Rogers is a dotted line to my team uh, who serve with theological education. They teach, they serve as liaisons to get um, our professors, pastors overseas to teach. We, we uh, review materials, a number of things that, that my team does. I'm Matt Roberts, and I do live around the corner. I uh, was married on this campus in 1988. Uh, I've been back to this town for Thanksgiving, but six months ago, my wife and I moved here. Her family lives here. Dad's a uh, former surgeon in Thailand who went with the FMB, now IMB. I work with Training Leaders International. In 2009, John Piper at Bethlehem Baptist Church in Minneapolis recognized, came across this uh, stat, started doing research, 85% of leaders in the world in the church have no theological education. So his emphasis was to develop a ministry to reach those people. So TLI is focused on that 85%. It's called the theological famine. It's a common expression today. John was the one that coined it. My job with them is to recruit people to travel with us. There's a group called Third Mill. They, are you guys familiar with Third Millennium? So they send videos of pastors or teach, professors teaching there is reaching and teaching. They send staff. Our model is we have staff people and we go with pastors, professors, seminary students, PhD students to teach in all places of the world. Our models, we have six formal seminaries around the world and we're in 45 other places in non-formal education. Hello, my name is Stefan Schulte. Um, I'm born in Canada, but I grew up in Germany. And uh, I work for a seminary that belongs to a missions organization in Germany that was founded by my grandfather after the Second World War. And um, so we offer bachelor and master classes in Germany. And uh, yeah, I'm excited to share a little bit about the opportunities that there are for you too to come in and help us um, to serve the church and the people in Germany. I'm Rob Coleman. I've been working in Colombia, South America for about six years. Um, I work with a seminary in Barranquilla, Colombia, on the coast called Psalm 119 Biblical Seminary. It was started just, uh, this seminary was started just a year and a half, a year and a half ago. And they have different programs, but within a year and a half, they've gotten about 400 students, um, a lot of them coming out of kind of prosperity gospel churches on the coast of Colombia who want, you know, training in Bible and sound doctrine. I've also worked in Medellin, Colombia for a while, uh, but a lot of my energy now is uh, working with this seminary in the coast of Columbia. My name is Kevin Rogers. Um, they said responsible for theological education at IMB. That's really Chuck's job. I'm just over Africa, sub-Saharan Africa. <clears throat> and um, I lead a team of about 16 full-time theological educators that work in various locations all around sub-Saharan Africa. And we've got lots of job requests on the books and more and more coming all the time. We have a very unique to the IMB, unique theological education strategy uh, that we're developing there. And so I do a lot of liaison work between seminaries and things here and the field in Africa, a lot of recruiting for jobs, and then a lot of connecting with institutions that are already in sub-Saharan Africa to try to form a network of theological educators and theological education institutions so that we can sort of do more together than we can do on our own.
That's lovely. So I would imagine in a room like this and for our students who will be watching this online later, we'll have some students listening who've lived overseas before are kind of bought into this idea. Other students who maybe haven't ever done that are just beginning to daydream. I'd love to hear a little bit from some of you about how you ended up kind of connected to theological education overseas. Maybe we can start with Rob since you are a current PhD student who are, who's doing this at the moment and kind of share from others how you ended up in, in this. It was uh, very coincidental for me, in fact, sort of like the book of Esther, I guess you might say. I, uh, I was cleaning pools for a living. I had just gotten married and our, our company made budget cuts and uh, I got to work on Monday and my boss said, hey, you and three other men are, are without a job. And so I, I was finishing up my Bible college degree online and so I was looking for ministry work and I happened to find a fundraising position with a uh, pastoral training ministry in Colombia that was based out of Florida. The work took place in Colombia. It was based out of Florida. And I started taking trips to Colombia and fell in love with it. And uh, that was it was that sort of experience that uh, in that experience, I found kind of my life's what I think is my life's calling or great or desire, at least my greatest desire in life is to train uh, pastors around the world and particularly in Old Testament and biblical studies. Uh, but for me, it was very coincidental. I, I I used to think I was going to, you know, be a full-time pastor. That was what I originally wanted to do when I went to Bible college. And then I kind of landed this opportunity and realized that that's what I want to spend my life doing. So once I, once I finished the PhD, um, you know, like most PhD students, I'd love to teach in a, uh, you know, full-time. But if that, if that opportunity doesn't uh, afford itself, I'd be happy to do various work, you know, here in the United States and take trips down teaching uh, in a modular format. It's that Most of my experience is uh, teaching in a modular format, and I don't think it's the only way to do it, but maybe I can add to the panel by talking about it from, from that perspective. So, so yeah, for me, it was, it was uh, from my vantage point, it was coincidental. I, I guess from uh, a theological vantage point, it was providential that God, God led me down that path, and I'm really grateful. So That's exciting to hear. I wonder if anyone else has a part of their story that they might like to share. Actually, yeah. So I was, I came to Christ at the age of 21, but I was raised in the Roman Catholic Church. And our particular affiliation was to the Jesuits. And the Jesuits are the academic brand of the Roman Catholic Church. And they're one of their chiefs of the Jesuit tradition is St. Francis Xavier, who was a missionary. So theological education, most richly in the Roman Catholic Church, is led by missionaries. So that was more formative to me than anything. I was in seminary at, uh, at Trinity Evangelical Divinity School. I did my master's and PhD there. And I was a uh, teaching fellow for a professor named Robert Coleman. And he actually, so the general was my own background, but the specific was he received a call from Yosef Son, who was the director of Emanuel Bible Institute in Marathi, Romania, which at the time is 800 students, uh, about 10 o'clock on the dial if you look at Romania. But that would make it the largest Bible college in Europe. And he asked Robert Coleman, he said, do you know of a man who wants to be a disciple maker and lead the pastoral theology department? And I was sitting behind him and he just put the phone to the side. He went, do you want a job? And I said, sure, where? And he said, it's in Romania. I said, sure. He goes, yeah, I got a guy for you. So. <laughs> um, I started out with the IMB in 1997 and uh, went from a pastor in Arkansas fresh out of seminary with my MDiv to go and teach at the Baptist Theological Seminary of Zambia and Lusaka. And uh, as an ISC, or just taught for two years, we call it midterm now, a two-year midterm position. 
From there, went back career to the field uh, in Zambia as well as a church planter. And, um, and that's just a long, long story. But um, in 2016, there was a bit of a transition in the IMB uh, when we had a new president and there were some doors opened and a new love for theological education. Um, and so we just decided we were going to have a theological reformation and a renaissance all at the same time right there in that continent. And um, <clears throat> my boss, my AGL, Darren Davis, created a position called the Theological Education Associate. So it was not necessarily from Richmond, but from a field-based perspective, and basically wanting to re-engage in a healthy, vibrant theological education strategy for all of Sub-Saharan Africa because of the potential for the continent and for the world, really. I think you've heard statistics that this last year was the historic year in all the world when there were more believers in Sub-Saharan Africa than any continent on the planet. And um, and the shift that we've been talking about for years to the global south has happened. And so there's potential for a church to be mobilized to the world to actually, you know, complete the task. And they're not ready. They're not ready theologically. They're not ready in other ways. And so we saw it as very strategic to our mission as an organization to be involved in theological education strategies in sub-Saharan Africa for lots of reasons. So uh, we kind of brought that to the affinity level, uh, created a team, and I've been given lots of encouragement and lots of um, backing from my leadership to to go after this. So I've sort of done a lot of different things in the IMB, but um, started out in theological education, and that's really been my first love, and it's a significant globalization strategy for us. Let me just add to that, that as I work with uh, our IMB folks around the world, nobody's doing it better with a stronger focus and stronger passion than Sub-Saharan Africa, led by Kevin and their AGL, Darren Davis. They're just phenomenal what they're doing. Their vision is huge. Uh, they do have openings. They do. Uh, they are seeking people. And so make sure you talk to all of us. But because I know what they're doing in, in Africa and I know what they want to do, uh, I get convicted about it. So I'm going to shut up and move on. So. No, this is very exciting uh, on a personal note, in a few different ways. It's encouraging to me to see how the Lord is moving in providential ways that we don't always expect. I think that was kind of a thread through all of your stories that he is working to equip his people in the world and he's working to move us to participate in what he's doing. That's really encouraging. Now, I would imagine for most of our students in the room and those who are listening <clears throat> online that they've done the majority of their schooling in an American evangelical context. So I'm curious if y'all might be able to help us think through what are some of the major differences that you're encountering with the students in your context for theological education that would be unfamiliar for us in American evangelicalism? So what are the biggest differences in those kind of contexts? Um, so coming from a German context, and um, so I did my master's at, in Canada, which is not the U.S., but it's North America. Um, yeah, <laughs> that's right. Um, I think the biggest difference is that we are teaching in a context of weakness. We're um, institutionally weak. Um, we're resource-wise weak. Um, I was teaching a class in Indonesia, and I looked at the their books that they had for sale and realized they have more publications out in Indonesian, behind Indonesia, than there's in German. Obviously, I'm, I'm not saying we don't have theological books in Germany. I know that we have tons of theological books in Germany, and you have to read them, and, and I'm sorry for you, and I apologize for the complexity <laughs> of the German language and for our long words. Um, but um, modern evangelical publications that help pastors, commentaries, we have 
one and a half evangelical commentary series in Germany. Um, that's it. And if you don't like them, there's reasons not to like every book of them, then that's... So you're coming in a place of weakness, you know, and we don't have, uh, like, government-wise, we don't have any big voice, um, so we're always dependent. So that gives a really different feel to it when you're in this kind of situation. So I think that's maybe something you don't think about, but one way that it's different. Uh, and then you're, you're reaching um, a, a diverse group of people in our classrooms. Yeah. Well, one of the uh, guys on our staff, he goes by the pseudonym Elliot Clark, and he wrote a book recently on evangelism. Um, he, he took that name because when he was with the IMB in Turkey, you take a name other than your, your birth name. His uh, objective when he would lead someone to Christ, the most exciting thing for next step for him was to introduce this new believer to the church, to a community of people they had no idea even existed. And when I think about where we're engaged overseas, that is one of the primary emphases that we have is, is to introduce people to the church. They don't recognize the body, the family, the people of God that they're now a member of. So that brings about a radical transformation in their understanding of, of their identity. One of the uh, mantras that we have here at TLI, at, not here, but at TLI, is uh, meditate on your qualifications, not your accomplishments. Meditate on your qualification in Christ and not your accomplishments, not how big your church is or how many books you've read or who discipled you or any of that stuff. It's all superficial, but your qualification goes deep. And we find it very simple to teach when we're teaching overseas to get those that we teach to grab onto that. We find it enormously difficult to do that in North America. The, the last piece I'll tell you here is there was a student in Togo who, while we were teaching there, told us that in his community, when there is a call in the community, they use music. And the style of music, the, the volume of the music, uh, will determine in the audience's ear whether or not they're called to uh, come to whatever center or whatever event might be happening. And um, as he was sharing this illustration, he was saying, you know, it differs between gender, it differs between rich and poor and all this other and he pointed out that in the book of Psalms, many of the Psalms begin with a word to the leader of the Psalter, what music should be played. So we're often hearing from students who uh, see scripture different from us to challenge us. There was a pastor in Titusville, Florida named Peter Lord years ago. How many of you know that name, Peter Lord? Peter's favorite illustration was if there's buzzards in the sky and you throw dead chickens and diamonds on the ground, the buzzards will only see the dead chickens. And when you are with students who don't see dead chickens but diamonds, or you see diamonds and they see dead chickens, it's a remarkable growth in our ability to connect uh, to God's word in a richer way than we ever have before. So the impact personally and selfishly is significant. I was going to say that South America is an interesting place because, at least in the context I work in, a lot of the churches and seminaries are very much influenced by North America. And so sometimes... I'm finding them, especially in terms of theology, asking a lot of the same questions we're asking. What I find very difficult and different are the ethical questions they raise. So uh, one of my first trips, someone asked me about a guy in their church who has a known mistress, and his wife accepts it, and he accepts it, and their kids know about it. How does he, how does he pastor that guy? And I was like, 
I'm going to be honest with you. I've never thought about that question because I've never encountered that. You know, certainly that issue. There's adultery is an issue anywhere in the world, but in this culture, having a known mistress was was normal, and I was I was just taken aback. So I think um, just being asked different questions is both challenging and helpful because there are answers. You know, we have. I did have an answer. I wasn't prepared for the question, but I could think through what does scripture teach, think through biblical ethics. So I think, at least for me, in my experience, it's been having different cultural questions uh, brought to my attention. And in, in, in some ways, <clears throat> just having to think through things for the first time that I don't have to think through here because I don't encounter them in, in my experience. So that's been one of the key differences is really different ethical and moral issues that are faced because of cultural norms. And I would say, and, and just to piggyback off of that, sometimes they have a clear understanding, especially of life in the days of Jesus, than we do from our perspective here, um, because of how they think and how they how they operate. I can't speak for the whole world, but I could say that in many places that are animistic, and that's probably the majority of the world, regardless of the religious veneer across the top. Um, I think that most people are oral learners. They, you know, even oral preference learners, even if they're educated and have PhDs. Uh, I think that many people um, have operate with concrete functional logic, and because of our Western civilization and how we've developed, we're more abstract in our approach. And so those are things, especially pedagogically, you have to really get your mind around if you're going to be effective. And um, and the I can remember. Um, just picking up what I learned in seminary and going to Africa and just dumping it right down on top of people there. And I think I've learned better since then. And I think that hopefully I'm more effective than I was 22 years ago. But I'll say this, at the same time, the magic formula is just time and people and God's word. And we get so caught up in methods. We get so caught up in different approaches and styles and things like that. And, um, and I've just seen God's word do amazing things sometimes in spite of the inability of the people who are teaching it. So, yeah. All, all of my teaching has been short term, but uh, I will tell you that teaching overseas has changed the way I teach here. Uh, because what I learned pretty quickly was uh, just because students could give back to me what I gave them, uh, they could fill in a blank, they could answer a question, didn't mean that they got it. It didn't mean that it got into their worldview. Uh, And so it forced me to come back here and ask, all right, if my students can just spit back to me what I've given them, is that really educating them, whether it's in our language or in in translation. So it's just been really stretching for me to think about how we equip one another even. No, that's wonderful and a helpful kind of move into our next question. Just thinking about how I'd love to to share with the group a little bit how your experiences working in other contexts, teaching in other contexts has shaped you as an educator or shaped you as a scholar and how you think you're maybe better at the task that you've been asked to do because you've been engaging in different cross-cultural contexts with different types of students. If that's true, it may not be true, but. We were in Croatia and Romania when we were overseas. And of course the work with TLI, but there's two fundamental things. Number one is whining. Um, The majority of students that I worked with were overwhelmed with the amount. I I was overwhelmed at looking at, and they were overwhelmed in it, how much work they were doing outside of their learning context. All of them were pastoring. All of them were helping another pastor. All of them had a job on the side. All of them had to do things every day to put food on the table. And I, and rarely did you see them whine. And I'm a discipler, which means I was discipled by Robert Coleman when I was in seminary. And to me, 
the idea of meeting with someone for coffee or having a Bible study died the first week I worked with him. It's, it's about all of life. And so I knew these kids and I knew when they were weak, they still didn't whine. Um, so I guess the overwhelming thing that it taught me to do is that my own perspective on my own situation is not necessarily the right perspective that uh, others can look at these things differently. Forgot the second thing. Some old, uh, I may remember. Um, I think the thing that I learned and I taught besides in Germany and in Africa, also in Indonesia is that you, I mean, this may sound too simple, but you just become a greater awareness of how much theological education depends on God's working. It's a form of discipleship. And um, you just realize that you're there and you under, you're more aware of your own weakness, your limitations. You, you have this language barrier there. Um, and you realize that it's easy to maybe get somebody to reproduce what you said, but to really have this learning moment to help them, um, it's, it's very different. Um, and also to understand their questions. I have the same thing in Indonesia. What do I do with my pastor? He has an affair and we, it's a shame-based culture. Um, what do we do? And I said, well, you need to talk to us. And, like, and then somebody else said, well, somebody else told us his wife and she committed suicide. Is that what we have to do? And suddenly you realize your, your simple answers walk into a messy world. And that's, that's okay. And then you think and you pray. And then we talked about it and together. And what happens, I think what, what so often happens, you, you at the end of the class, you're, you're wondering if you gave more or received more. That's just the reality of it. I was, I was going to say um, one of the reasons I continue to go on short-term teaching trips, especially in the stress of a you know PhD program, is that it's a source of continued encouragement and it's a reminder of why I'm striving so hard and, and working so hard in this program. So this is, this is a little maybe a little bit outside of your question, Christy, but I think especially for those of you in PhD programs and you know wherever if you end up as a pastor or professor in the states, I would say it's good to do just just like really any mission trip. It's a source of um, it's a real source of encouragement. And, you know, I, I remember especially this last trip I took in August. I was just already tired, and the semester hadn't begun, and the trip was exhausting. But by the end of it, I, I felt re-energized for for this fall semester. And so I guess just getting to because you realize you actually do have something to offer, like the global church. You realize, oh, there is a, there is a reason that I'm putting myself through this this program and there's a reason I'm working so hard and there's a reason I'm so tired because at the end of the day, I do have something to offer the global church. Um, so in addition to how the teaching actually helps you be an educator, I think it also just helps you as a Christian who is interested in scholarship to be encouraged that there is fruit to be born out of your work, you know, for the global church. And uh, so for me, it's just, it's a constant source of encouragement um, and, 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 and aid to endurance in the program and I hope into my scholarly career. I don't think I could list all the ways I've benefited from serving overseas. <clears throat> um, there are just so many. I think that you find out how little you know. Um, you find out that the world's a lot bigger than you thought it was. My kids have benefited tremendously from being raised in Africa. They wouldn't trade that for the world. They're better people for that. Um, and I think you see the importance of the local church because somehow, some way, we don't intend to do this, but we somehow divorce theological education from the local church here in America. And it's much more, I think, dependent on the local church in many places where I serve. Um, and I think the other thing that you do is you just, you realize that 
it's it's more complicated and there are bigger bigger issues at stake and what africans help me do is they help me to understand that i can't compartmentalize my life because they don't i've never met an African atheist, you know, I've never met an African, a lost person who didn't believe in evil spirits and things like that. And, and for there, there's no division between physical and spiritual. It's all one thing. And, and it's a, it's a good lesson for us to realize that life is life all the time, not just on Sunday morning. Teaching overseas puts you in this, this really strange tension between it's it's incredibly humbling when nationals just hang on every word you give them, uh, and they they write everything down uh, if they're in a literate culture, and they take it back to their church and they say it exactly the way that you said it, and and if you get it wrong, that means they're going to get it wrong, and so uh, it's incredibly humbling, and yet at the same time, as the American in the room, you can quickly become the rock star, and so you think you're something, and. And it just forces me every time I'm there to look at my heart. Where am I really? And I come back here, I trust with, a, with I hope at least, a greater sense of humility that uh, we who teach, who educate, are, are incredibly privileged to do what we do. This is so rich. I'm, it's a real blessing for me to kind of listen to this as I think about, I'm a current PhD student thinking about moving into theological education. This is a really helpful conversation. So say we have students at this point that are like, man, I'm ready. Like, I think this is a great way for me to use my PhD. I would really like to be a part of this. So a couple of questions, but we'll start with this. So say they're ready to step in into your context and step into a classroom what do you think that they're going to encounter as the greatest needs that are coming out of the students that, that you're teaching in your context? Does that make sense? Um, I would say that since most of our students are early 20s, they're still very young. Um, we're still, um, so I would say that, well, maybe let's say one thing first. Uh, Germans show appreciation through questioning your ideas. Um, so... Uh, <laughs> So they, they might give you push, a lot more pushback than you're used to. Very different than my experience in Indonesia, where it's like, okay, okay, okay. Uh, there's like, no, what about this? What about that? Have you thought about this? And, and if they find any weakness, then they're going to they're gonna drill you in that area. So just be prepared for that. <laughs> um, um, no, uh, what I found and as is like, you'll find that you, uh, and this is why I also just want to invite you to consider long-term investment, because... The relationship building is such a fundamental part because um, theology and, and spiritual development, those things, they, 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 they just belong together. Your, your thinking about God ought to affect the way you, you do your life. And the students will want to see that. They want to see that in your life and they want you to help them in, in, in bridging their, what they learn in class with their own lives. Um, and so that will be something that I find you will find. You can you can do all the research. You will be well prepared, and I have no doubt everybody here will be well qualified to do that. But they're going to want to really know how does that affect your life, and how can you help? And then we'll ask you for your help. And and that's that is where I think true education also takes place because it's it's only when theology becomes part of life that we're really doing something. So I wouldn't just give you that, that it does not stop when the bell rings or something like that, where the time is up, but that's actually where it starts. And that's also what theological, theological education needs to continue. I would say from, from my experience, especially I'm in biblical studies, so if you're in biblical studies here, theological studies, 
you need to make sure you also spend time thinking about Christian living and ethics. <laughs> That's, I think, for, for, for my experience, I, I went down a lot of times, especially early on, I just went down to teach thinking, okay, I mean, I know the Old Testament, I'm ready to teach this course, but I wasn't ready for the ethical questions, some of the ethical questions that were asked. I'll, I'll give you an example. Um, <clears throat> we had, a, we had a, a former seminary I worked at in Medellin. We had a professor go down and teach pastoral counseling. It was a one-week course. They were supposed to run the gamut of theory and practice and counseling. And the whole class turned into a marriage and family class because of the questions of the students. They were asking so many difficult and yet important questions about marriage and family that the professor just scrapped the, his, his, met his plan and taught a whole class on marriage and family because they were asking such good questions. So that's a very specific example. But even in, in classes where I'm teaching Old Testament, <clears throat> the questions just tend to go towards Christian living and towards ethics. So I would just encourage you, if you're in the world of biblical studies, if you're in the world of systematic theology, make sure you're also thinking and, you know, thinking a lot about Christian living and thinking a good bit about ethics. Because if you're teaching overseas, you will get a lot of questions in those fields, even if you go down to teach a class on Exodus, you know, or, uh, you know, the doctrine of Christ. So that's, that's what I would offer, especially in the Latin American context from what I've experienced. I won't repeat that because that was good. I was going to say that. Um, I, I would say that the majority of error in the world, I think the touchstone for that is hermeneutics. And I think that you have to really focus on that when you're teaching overseas because uh, many times you'll find you're in a different place than most people. And I think that's where a lot of problems comes is in the area of hermeneutics. Um, and I would agree that you have to do life on life with people. Um, in that where I live and work, people love to learn and they love to get certificates, but it doesn't mean they love to apply what you've given them. And, um, and so there's no substitute for the incarnational nature of theological education. Um, we could talk about online and maybe argue about that and other things, but that, that, that's a key point. And then I would say a real commitment to contextualization, to, go there as a learner and say, you know what, I probably don't know everything that I think I know and I need to learn in a dialogical approach from even my students. And so I'm going to, I'm going to go there and I'm going to try to do the best I can to communicate this in a way that really brings real understanding and still guards the truth. We, I agree with Rob. In our seminaries, there's no more important thing than to understand how to engage with the ethical issues. I'll say this as well. Take as many courses as you can in teaching and how to teach and, and opportunities to teach. There's nothing more important than that for your preparation. Because we work with the 85 that are, it's the Ethiopian reading the book of Isaiah and Philip walking up to him. Imagine if Philip had not walked up to him. That's the Ethiopian we're dealing with. The person who's been passing a church and preaching, one, one gentleman uh, in Ethiopia was preaching on Mark 14 and uh, where the woman anoints Jesus and he ap- applied it to the church as now when the men arrive to church, all the women need to anoint the men. So uh, typically that gets very angry response from women, but um, in, in this context, not so anyway, the, the point is you're really just teaching people how to read the Bible and you're, uh, engaging them on what the activities that they've already been involved in and helping redirect them. So it's not that complicated. You're teaching them to read the Bible and how to teach it. So there's not a lot, but you do need to know how to teach. So that's why we encourage people to get as much experience teaching as possible. 
And I would go back to what Kevin said, too, is we teach, we, we have to contextualize. We have to know the people we're teaching. I, I learned this the hard way, teaching a, a number of Vietnamese students and talking about the, the exclusivity of the gospel, that Jesus is the only way. You have to have a personal relationship with him. And as I, as I taught that, I watched many of them in the room start weeping. And I didn't know what was going on until it finally hit me that theology condemned most of their ancestors to hell. And so all of a sudden, it's hitting home for them in ways that it never even occurred to me. So knowing your students, knowing their background, knowing the theology that they bring in the room uh, will help you learn to teach as well. So it means a lot of work outside of just your discipline if you're going to do it well. All right, last question for me before we opened up to the floor to take some questions. So we got students who are ready to go. What's their first practical step? So I'm interested in doing this. If they want to serve with you in their context, what might that look like? I'll start. Um, and, and I want to bridge from the last question. What I would tell you to do if you want to teach overseas, and take this with a grain of salt, but see yourself as a missionary first and a theological educator second. And I really value theological education. It's, it's what I do. It's what I think is important. I think it's a key strategy for us. But these concepts of contextualization, of knowing your people, of teaching well, all these things, these are really missionary contexts. And so you're going to want to go there and do the hard work of language learning, do the hard work of learning about your people, do the hard work of learning what ways to teach that will be the most effective ways to, to influence your people. So you're not just going to be, you're, not, you're going to be a different person than you would be if you just rocked up to a classroom here at Southeastern and began teaching. And so the more that you can think missionally and the more that you can think cross-culturally, the more effective you'll be. Um, for, for our organization, for International Mission Board, um, we... I can't speak for all of the organization, but I can speak for Sub-Saharan Africa. We have jobs and we have openings and we need people to come. Um, probably the most strategic job right now in the entire organization is in Ogbomashaw in Nigeria. Um, that seminary there is the second oldest seminary, Baptist seminary in the world. It's 120 years old. Um, only Southern is older. And, um, and that school has asked us to provide them with a PhD in missions professor. And then for that person on to be part-time PhD in missions professor at the school, part-time basically developing their missionary orientation process for their international missionaries. They send out about 30 international missionaries a year. If you want to change the world, you come to Nigeria. 25% of all Africans, one, one of every four are Nigerian, almost 300 million people in that country. And they are going to the nations and we, they've asked us to come and prepare them to do that. So um, there's just great, great opportunity. We have jobs in Ghana and Ivory Coast. Uh, we have another job in, with Trevor there in, in, Togo, in Togo and Lome and, um, and in other places in sub-Saharan Africa. So your first thing is to say, is to say, hey, Kevin, I want to come do that. And then to contact the IMB and begin the process to be appointed with the International Mission Board and say, Kevin promised me you would let me come and teach in this place. And that won't help a lot, but whatever it takes. I'd say if you want to dip your foot in the water, 
A couple specific places I would suggest if you're ABD, you could talk to Dr. Ewart about the SEBITS, Global Theological Initiatives. Uh, I've talked with him recently, and I think they're they're interested. Uh, I shouldn't speak. I'm not going to speak for him, but I've talked to him, and I think they may have interest in uh, PhD students who are ABD teaching overseas. I'd also encourage you to think about sort of what level you'd you'd want to teach at. So I know that TLI and reaching and teaching, they especially TLI. I can Matt, you can speak more to this. There's different levels of education. You know, there's official seminaries, and then there's just groups of pastors, like pastors conference. So I, I would specifically point you to Sebits um, Global Theological Initiatives, to uh, Training Leaders International, and to uh, reaching and teaching. And then if you're if you're interested in teaching in Colombia, the the seminary I work with in the coast of Barranquilla, they're always asking for professors to come down for a week. And you know, going and teaching a modular course is a good opportunity to get your feet wet. You know, see if you you really like it. I, I I agree that the ideal scenario is to to move overseas and full time if you can. But if you if you don't really know what it's like or you'd like to see what it's like, a you know, a modular course might be a good good place to start. And I would point you to those four four opportunities. In fact, I don't mean to interrupt you, but I would say that's the right place to start. I think you ought to get some experience teaching overseas and connecting with schools and getting opportunities before you just dive right in. I would agree with everything that's been said. Um, start with, you can email me and, and we'll set up a time for you to come and visit for a week and teach some classes. That's very straightforward. Um, beyond that, I would say... Um, Pray that God would just give you a burden for particular people. Um, build yourself up in a situation that you are flexible, that you can actually leave the country when opportunity comes and that you don't have like a huge mortgage or financial liabilities or stuff like that. Because um, that can be a real problem, real strain um, on that. You know, that's what I would just very practically speaking, just try to position yourself in a way that, you know, when God opens the door, you're, you're kind of ready and, and you can go. Um, so pray, prepare, um, start learning the language early. Uh, even if you just download a little app and, and do some, some practicing and even, even for a short term, um, trip, even when it gets translated, it still goes a long way. It's just showing appreciation and, and, and honors the, the, the host culture. If you can speak a few words, uh, in, in the language. So that's just, so guten Tag, And there you go. And then you can get started from there. <laughs> So, Rob mentioned we have several levels. We have uh, seminaries. If you're interested in participating in one of those, we strongly encourage a visit. We have a seminary in Vietnam, and um, it's kind of our nerd capital of the world. Uh, One of our guys there wrote a Hebrew grammar in Vietnamese, uh, and it's one of the highest, most difficult in the entire country. So I think about that, and I go, that's not TLI at all. But uh, we have so many varieties of what TLI is that it, it really is part of who we are. The best way for us is all of our visit, all of our trips are on our website. Go to TL, trainingleadersinternational.org. You can find a one-week trip that you might want to participate in. We've had a model that's very similar to mission models. Everybody raises their own support, unlike IMB or CMA and others. But we are uh, transforming that into a centralized giving model. So most trips cost around $3,500 for a week for you to go. We are facilitating uh, most of that support now. So if you're interested in going and teaching with us for a week, uh, the way we go, we go, for example, we go three times a year for three years. So nine times. We begin with hermeneutics and then we start teaching on the genres. So we may go in one time, it's gospels. 
We'll focus on the gospel of Mark. How do you preach from the gospels? Our focus is to train people to teach biblical sermons. How do you preach from the letters of Paul, the historical books, apocryphal literature, uh, uh, Proverbs and wisdom? So if you have a particular bent for one of those uh, curriculum styles or one of those teaching areas, we encourage you to go. When I was in my PhD program at Trinity Evangelical Divinity School, the thing that sharpened me the most was my conversations with my colleagues. So I would strongly encourage you to engage in deeper and deeper conversations with one another about this. My team on the, on the field can help connect us with teaching opportunities, so just talk to me. But let me, let me add another thing. I would say if you want to teach overseas, you want to teach here in the States for that matter, do fervent evangelism now. Make disciples now. One-on-one, one-on-two, one-on-three. Cross-culturally, help plant healthy churches. If, if I were king for a day, I wouldn't hire anybody to teach here who wasn't doing those things. So we're going to send you overseas to do those things. I don't want you going over there cocooning yourself in the office, whatever it looks like. Uh, and that's a that's a real danger for any of us teaching. So do the Great Commission now so that when you get overseas, it's just natural for you. All right. So we're going to do some Q&A. We got some time. I think we're going to have somebody steal Dr. Rogers' mic, and we'll use that. Um, so if you have any questions, just raise your hand. We'll give you a mic. Well, you all are thinking I got one. Uh, what's one book you would want somebody to read before going uh, on like an international theological training. Uh, but what's just one book you wish they'd read? Okay. Yeah. Yeah. At the, absolutely. Good answer. Wow. I wish you hadn't asked me that question because I don't know the answer. African Friends and Money Matters. African Friends and Money Matters. Okay. I'm forgetting the authors, but I think it's called Reading Scripture with Western Eyes. I forgot. The, misreading. Yeah, is it misreading? I'm forgetting the, yeah. I thought it was misreading. Okay. I forget the, the authors, authors' names. Maybe it's Richards for those of you listening along. Anybody else have a suggestion? This, this is a real simple book, but Sarah Lanier is foreign to familiar. It's just a, it's just a good little look at how you understand cultures. It's an easy read. A lot of white space on the side. <laughs> Small. Yeah. I'm, I'm trying to come up with one book. I would think read about post, postmodernism, post-Christian realities, um, just because Europe is, in, is a, in a place where we've, all these things are just a reality. Um, I like James K. Smith, his ideas about liturgy and how they affect our cultures. And I think that applies quite strongly. And also there's some good ideas how that can translate into, into evangelism. I'm a bibliophile, so it's impossible. But uh, I was discipled by Robert Coleman. So if you don't know the master plan of evangelism, don't walk out of this room. You need to know that book. The one thing you have to offer this world is your friendship with Jesus. And if you rely on anything else, those people will not be transformed. Good questions? How is the internet changing all of this, especially contextualization? I was just in, uh, have no idea where I was, somewhere in Mozambique, and training some young pastors. And they were, 
wanted dialogue on what they just read off the Gospel Coalition, and they're asking me questions I'd never been asked on a mission trip experience before. So how, how are things changing? I would say that they're changing at a lightning pace um, because globalization is happening so fast and they're getting exposed to so many things but they oftentimes don't have filters or grids by which to understand those things. So it's not necessarily a good thing. Um, you know, I tell people all the time for, for years when I was serving in Zambia, the only two television stations on the, on the whole that everybody had access to were Zambia national broadcasting. And the two American shows they had were professional wrestling and Jerry Springer. Those were the two things that they saw in America. And then the other TV station was TBN. And they had unlimited, unfettered access to TBN all the time. And that was their perspective of American Western world. So, you know, um, yeah, I think we need to speak into that. I think we have to contextualize America for them sometimes. Um, so I think it's helpful, but I think it's it's fraught with difficulty. I was going to say I, the Internet can be a positive. I'm getting Facebook chats all day sometimes from friends in Latin America. And a lot of times it's the exact same thing you experience. What, did, you, did you see this article on the Gospel Coalition? What do you think about this? You know, And so it's at least one positive is the, the ability to communicate with my brothers and sisters overseas and answer their questions or dialogue with them because of the Internet. Yeah, I mean, I mean, I guess we all agree that it changes everything in a sense, and it changes the way people learn and memorize and those kind of things. We have to have shorter units of teaching. We have to cater to that. And the other thing, nothing changes. And, and, and I'm, I mean, because we still, we need to have time with the people. We need to interact. We need to build relationships, and we need to, to work in their lives. And they just have access to more information, but that doesn't, hasn't helped anybody much. And we, we know that now that just having more access doesn't really change anything. So maybe to guide and we need, need to help them how to discern good information from bad more. That may be something we'll be changing too. Same. Outside the use of a more Socratic method, just constantly questioning the questions. The Internet, in my estimation, has contributed to the spread of the prosperity gospel. So when you have nothing and you see what others have or might have or you see just what the media says you should have, the human heart leans toward we want more. And so in place in the world where you wouldn't even dream they have the Internet, they have the Internet and want what everybody else seems to have. Other questions? My question is related to what Dr. Lawless said at the end. Uh, so how do you deal with prosperity gospel over one week? Because uh, I heard some of you said the people who are affected by prosperity gospel come to learn the Bible. It's over a week. And it's a worldview. It's hard to change their mind. So what is your approach to those, especially from Africa and South America? And South Korea, where I'm from, is also very affected by it. So uh, I want to hear about it. Um, when somebody figures that out, you tell me because I need to know that the answer to that question. Uh, we're in the middle middle right now. Actually, our entire team of developing a, a three year curriculum rollout plan for everything from an oral track all the way up to Sunday school and discipleship training to PhD level seminary curriculum type stuff for the prosperity gospel in Africa. 
and and we are going to flood the continent with resources and throw as much money and technology at it as we possibly can. And I'm not completely sure, or sometimes I, I waver in my in my faith in our ability to to steer that ship for the very reason that that Chuck has said. Um, I think the short, simple thing is I'm not sure you can deal with it in a week. Um, I, I'm a, I'm a big fan of life on life mentoring and discipleship in the place in within the context of theological education. A good book you could read is Bonhoeffer Seminary Vision. Um, it's kind of a radical book, but um, but you should check that out. It's basically it's someone from Beeson Divinity School proposing that online education is of the devil. He wouldn't say that, but that's my my understanding of his, but basically, you know, just appealing that, that Bonhoeffer was like that discipleship and theological education are hand in hand. You can't separate those things together. And that means time face to face with people doing life with people in community. Um, but I'll say this, you cannot. there's nothing more powerful than the Holy spirit and then God's word. And so I have, again, I've seen people who wholly embrace the prosperity gospel turn away from the prosperity gospel when they really begin to understand how to interpret God's word effectively. Um, it can be done, but it's it's going to take time and work. Every institution I've worked for in Latin America advertises to prosperity gospel churches. I've never taught at a seminary that didn't have a number of students who've come out of prosperity gospel churches because the schools advertise to them as, hey, come come learn more about the Bible, and they want to, and they do, and they leave. <laughs> so that's the strategy that we've that I've seen used by these pastors and uh, seminary presidents is they just go and advertise in these churches, and the people think, great. This, this seminary I talked about in Barranquilla has got 400, Barranquilla has 400 students. I mean, maybe one-third to a half have come in some way out of the prosperity gospel movement because the, the school and church, they're, they're one, the school and the church, they advertise in, uh, to these churches, and uh, and it works because they just say, hey, you just come learn about the Bible, <laughs> and and they do, and maybe that seems deceitful, but I don't know. Anyway, that, there's a strategic um, move on, on their part to advertise, and, and so they're then in this program for multiple years where they're learning the Bible and they're learning theology in a... Uh, in a good, healthy context. Um, maybe I can just add this one thought. I think even if you come for one week, understand that you are joining a team and that at the, the, the point is that as, an, as a group, as a faculty, as an institution, in correlation or in, in collaboration with the church, you're trying to make an impact. And I think that's very important because you don't have to do everything in one week or two weeks. You're just doing one thing that's building upon what other people are doing. And to make, therefore, it's important to understand what's happening around this, to understand, understand the curriculum and the desires of the school and how they interact with the local church um, so that you understand that you are just one of many who is trying to make an impact in the life of these people. And, and TLI's understanding, much of the prosperity gospel came out of a lack of understanding of how to read scripture. And teach it. It wasn't all diabolical, evil desire to be rich. The house church movement in China was not designed to be a cult, but it has ended up becoming that because of a lack of theological education. So our philosophy comes more along the line of, we're not really sure how you raise the dead, but we are really good at understanding how to give life. And so we're more concerned about today, what might become of what's not the prosperity gospel to avoid that. So basically those who are, aren't not, this is the beauty of the body of Christ. 
that we are not trying to change prosperity gospel from being non-prosperity gospel. We're trying to help new believers and pastors teach so that they become biblical churches. All of these answers are great answers. So as we think about doing this with a team, with the Word, under the power of the Spirit of God, that's exactly where we need to be. The other thing I would say is I think when we have just a week to try to make some difference, I think that's part of the value of making sure that we're training the pastors. We're training the trainers, the influencers who are going to take then what they're learning to their people. We have time for at least one more question, if anyone has one. No takers, I got one more. Bring it. Uh, so you got somebody who's never taught internationally, okay? They're, I mean, ABD, so they're all immersed in their topic, right, in their field. What's What do you see as the, maybe the biggest mistake that someone just really green, you know, comes in and, and makes their first time. And uh, what could get you not invited back? So if you're not coachable, you won't be brought back. But the way we work with people who are going for a week, we will meet on a Skype call with our staff person and the four to five or six other pastors or uh, PhD students or uh, MDiv students on a Skype call. And we'll go through our curriculum. Our curriculum is dialogical. The way you DQ yourself is if you over-talk and overtell. If you're not engaging them in question and conversation, they're not going to walk out with transformation. They're just going to have more content. And you see that pervasively in every, every cross-cultural context? We do, but our staff have been so trained to determine how is this person, where's their, the, the people that are traveling with us on these Skype calls. It's constantly driven home that dialogical learning is the most effective form of transformation and understanding. So we're, we try to pay attention to it ahead of time. Probably the biggest issues we've had to, at TLI are like other mission organizations who take short-term trips with people who teach is this, uh, what Bonhoeffer talked about, this dream view of life that they're not really living in reality. They're living in their dream of what reality could and should be. So they go over there and they'll fall in love in a week with somebody they've met. They'll, they'll be naughty They'll do things they shouldn't do. So it's human behavior that we're dealing with as well. Um, if you're all about dissertation and you're coming in, you're teaching a first-year class, remember how you felt the first time you heard something. You're not – you're completely qualified. In it's So don't worry about that. Just understand that these are not other PhD students, not even master students. And depending even which country you're in, they may have a very basic knowledge of the Bible. So really try to, and that's what I have to tell myself again, what was it like the first time I heard about this? Because it gets second nature. So many things that were mind-blowing at one point were just like, yeah, sure, we know that now, right? Um, so just keep that in mind. And it's particularly also as, as, you, as you advance as a teacher, don't forget how things were the first time you heard them. So I would just encourage that and, and make it really more about the process than just getting through this stuff. A lot of people feel like they have this, this, this guilt towards the school or the syllabi that they have to make it through everything. And then I, and I, I know exactly what happens. They go through the material and everybody tunes out and just nods politely. Um, so try to really say like less is more. Get them to the principles. 
Um, if you're doing a book, rather book study, rather a few things clearly, and then help them apply it themselves, they're not going to remember everything. You didn't either. You know what this is. So yeah. The things that for me would disqualify somebody would be going in without contextualization. We've we've talked about that. Not knowing the people, not even wanting to know, or thinking about needing to know your people. Uh, that would be a problem. Uh, ignoring the nationals on the ground, and not just those that you're teaching, but the national church that's already there, already given their lives for this for this sake. And third, going in as only a professor, meaning you're just taking your knowledge and you're going to bless everybody, as opposed to going in as a as a learner. I don't know that I would want you to come back, at least not quickly. Well, that's about time. This has been great. Thank you so much for coming. It's been a real joy. Um, if I could just pray for us to close and then we'll be, we'll be done. Father, we thank you that you loved us so much that you sent your son to live the life that we could never live, to die the death that we deserve, that he has risen and ascended. And in him, we know you. Father, we thank you for the privilege of knowing you in Christ and the privilege that we have in Christ of making you known in the world. So Father, I pray for us here in this room as we start thinking about the world around us here locally and the, the world around us globally, or that we would be driven to know and love you and to proclaim the hope of, gospel, of the gospel to those who haven't heard it. Um, Father, I pray specifically for these ministries represented. God, I pray for TLI, International Mission Board, and this university in Germany. God, we ask for wisdom for those leaders that you might open up their eyes to see you and to know you and to love you, to make wise decisions in their contexts as they create curriculum and engage with individuals in the classroom, Father, that you might be forming us all as Lord Westerners who are going and for nationals who are there, that you might be forming us into the image of the Son until we all attain to the unity of the faith. Father, I pray for Southeastern PhD students. God, I ask that you'd be opening up our eyes to see opportunities where we might be able to use the gift of the training and education that we have. And I pray for those who are listening or here in this room that you give us clarity um, for what you might be calling us to do and the courage to be able to walk us in the paths that you're opening for us. And Jesus, we love you. And it's your name that we pray. Amen.